What's up, everybody? You are listening to the Early Risers podcast. I'm your host, Skylar Deem, and I am an early riser. Now, when I say early riser, I'm not necessarily talking about someone who wakes up at a certain time. You know, it's not someone who wakes up at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. or 6 a.m. or 8 a.m. To me, all an early riser is is someone who wakes up earlier than they have to in order to get some form of uninterrupted personal development in the morning. So if you have to wake up at 9 a.m., but you decide you're going to get up at 8.30 and perform some sort of a morning routine that pushes you to be better, then you're an early riser. So we're back. It has been like five weeks since I've done a solo episode. A little lonely over here, but actually I'm pretty excited for this episode because we're going to be talking about something that there's a lot of misconception about. And this episode is going to be about fat loss, it's going to be about diabetes, and it's kind of just going to give you a general idea of how you can take back your health if you're really struggling with your weight or you're really struggling with you know, just how you feel and the way that you consume your food and how that really affects your body. So what I'm going to be doing in this episode is I'm going to be going over eight different ways for you to really take control of your health. And if you're struggling with weight gain, to really take back that body that you want and to take the body that you need and really have strived for in the past. Now, I think there's a lot of misconceptions with that. I think that, you know, we hear the old saying, you know, if you want to lose weight, you have to exercise more and you have to eat less. And while that's one of the ways to do it, it's not the smartest because when you're put in that situation, you are kind of fighting with the foods that you're eating and you're fighting with how your appetite is and you're fighting with how you feel. And it's going off of just food as this holistic thing, which it's obviously not because there's some foods that interact with your body in a different way than others. And if you're eating the same amount of calories, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be the same weight or that you're going to be in the same shape or have the same amount of health. So what I want to do in this episode is really break down, you know, step by step how you can go about improving your health and losing weight if that's something you struggle with. And if it's not, I'm still hoping this is going to give you a better idea of how to eat, of things you can be doing in your life to be more healthy, to look better, to feel better and Hopefully by the end of this, you really have a better understanding of what's going on in your body and how you can really improve the current state that you're in. Before we dive into the episode, I just want to cover my current obsession. And my current obsession this week, it's, I mean, it's been like five weeks since I've had a solo episode, so I've kind of fluctuated a lot, but I'm pretty sure the thing I'm most currently obsessed with is red wine. Now, I have never been a red wine drinker in my life. I've always thought wine was disgusting. It was too sweet. It didn't really mix well with my taste buds. But recently, I've kind of been getting into it and actually drinking it more than I drink beer. Now, I'm not a huge drinker in general. I rarely, rarely drink to excess. But I like to enjoy beer every now and then. I like to enjoy a glass of wine every now and then. And red wine has kind of been sticking with me. I've kind of bought about a bottle a week maybe, probably a little less than that. But I'll have a glass of wine, you know, three or four nights out of the week just to enjoy and just to relax kind of before bed. And I know alcohol is not great before sleep, but I'm definitely not drinking to excess. I'm just having that one glass and it's something that I have been enjoying. So that's my current obsession. And I would really love, honestly, if you reached out to me and just let me know what are you currently obsessed with. I love interacting with people. I love getting DMs on Instagram or emails or things along those lines, and I'd love to hear from you. So definitely feel free to reach out. 
Now, before we dive into the episode, if you have any questions from today's show or you want to know more, you can check the show notes. They will be on iTunes, Google Play, and you can also find them at earlyrisersmovement.com slash podcast slash 28. And this probably will be the last week that the link is formatted like that, to be completely honest. Um, I'm switching platforms from my website, so next week should be different, I hope, if I can get it up by then. But without further ado, let's get into the eight different steps that you can take to really help you on your journey to fat loss. And if you're struggling with diabetes or you're on the road to diabetes, how you can really prevent that. Now, this information was taken from the book Strong Medicine, which was used in the last episode that was solo, which I talked about fats. And, you know, I just want to say before diving in, first of all, check out that book if it might be something you're interested in because it's amazing. Second of all, I'm just going to throw in a disclaimer. Always consult a doctor before you start a new diet or before you cut out different things or add things to your daily ritual and your daily routine because... You know, sometimes your body isn't fit for certain things. Sometimes you can't handle it. And the last thing I would want is you taking this advice, running with it, and having it mess up your health in some way. But for the most part, this stuff is pretty safe, pretty self-explanatory. So it should be something that, you know, you get it. It makes sense to you. And hopefully this episode can be your calling to start making steps in the right direction. So without further ado, number one, the first thing you can be doing to really help you on your journey of fat loss and if you're dealing with diabetes is to... Determine your tolerance for starch and sugar. Now, let me give you a little background. So when you consume things like starch or sugar, your body basically breaks it down into the simplest form, which is glucose. Now, when you consume glucose, it actually enters your bloodstream, and you've probably heard the term before, blood sugar, and that's kind of what promotes that blood sugar level. Now, when this glucose is in your bloodstream, your body produces something called insulin to take that glucose from your bloodstream and bring it into your cells and use it as energy. So the thing is, while insulin is being produced, your body kind of switches over from burning fat to burning that glucose and to burning other things besides fat. And in some situations, if you have an overload of insulin, you can actually gain fat throughout this process. Now, certain foods cause higher blood sugar levels, aka higher insulin spikes than others. So one food may cause just a slight spike, And another may cause a greater spike. And I'm not going to say, you know, there's one food that causes this exact spike and there's one food that causes this exact spike because everyone's different. But there's actually a way to find out how your body responds to certain foods. So, for example, I heard a story a while back where this guy just could not eat rice because he would have rice and his blood sugar would just absolutely spike, just skyrocket. And it pushed him to the level where it kind of seemed that he was diabetic. But if you want to measure what your blood sugar levels is and what your tolerance is for certain starches and sugars and all these different foods, you can actually buy a glucose meter from your local pharmacy. And I believe they're only like $15. I'm I'm pretty sure they're on the cheaper side. But if you use this, you can actually measure your blood sugar level and you measure it an hour after you eat a food and two hours after you eat a food. And based on those numbers, you can really tell how your body responds to it. Now, the general rule of thumb, if you're going to do this, is you eat the food, you wait an hour, you take the measurement, and you want your blood sugar to stay below 140 one hour after that meal. And then an hour after that, so two hours after you eat, you want it to be under 120. So your blood sugar kind of should be slowly decreasing as time goes on, and it should be staying under those numbers. 
Now, say you eat a meal and an hour after you measure it and it's 150, 160, 170, then that's a food you're probably going to want to stay away from more. That's something that, you know, not necessarily you have to avoid at all costs, but it shouldn't be something that you should be eating one, two, three, four, five times a week. It should just be kind of like a special occasion type meal. Now, another thing that I kind of want to just address is that insulin isn't the enemy because it pushes glucose into the cells and it also pushes glucose into the muscles. So there are times if you are going to have foods that are high in starch or sugar and that kind of spike your blood sugar, you can actually time it around your exercise to really not have the effects be as powerful in your body. So if you eat something like that before a workout or you eat something like that after a workout, it'll actually have less of a detrimental effect. So it's not going to cause as much weight gain as if you were to just eat it on a normal day or on at a time where you're not exercising. So number one, you got to determine your tolerance for starch and sugar. And you really should get a baseline of what foods you should be eating and what foods you really shouldn't be eating that much. Number two, to really drastically reduce that weight gain to help promote weight loss and to deal with diabetes is to cut out or drastically reduce gluten intake. Now, gluten is in a lot of foods, and it's something that's kind of a hot topic. A lot of people are starting to avoid it, people with celiac disease or people just who want to be healthy. But here's the deal. So most foods that contain gluten are also very high in starch. So it's going back to that previous point. So this spikes our blood sugar, this causes an insulin spike, and this really stops fat loss and causes weight gain. But another thing is that all gluten products out there, so every single product that contains gluten, they don't really have nutritional advantages. You know, yes, they may have some positives to them, but there's no downsides to completely eliminating that gluten and those foods with gluten from your diet. So if you are on the road to weight loss and you really, really want to expedite the process and make it a smoother transition, gluten is something that you want to cut out or if it's something that you are just crazy addicted to, at least reduce your intake. Now, another note that I want to say is that gluten-free doesn't necessarily mean that this thing is healthy. I saw like muffins, they have bread now, they have all these different types of food that are gluten-free, but these foods are basically made in a lab. Almost all of the ingredients aren't healthy, they don't go well with the body, and they're just smart to avoid. So if you're really trying to eat gluten-free for the purpose of eating gluten-free, also try your best to avoid this packaged food that you know, is just super marketed towards being gluten-free because odds are it's not that good. And I also want to address the people out there who think that whole wheat is a healthier option, even though it still has gluten. Now, I just had Dr. Stephen Gundry on the podcast. The episode was ERM25. It was called The Plant Paradox. And this really goes into why whole wheat isn't healthy and what you should be doing instead. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, you haven't heard that episode yet, I will put that in the show notes as well. So number two, if you really want to speed up the process of weight loss and you really want to avoid diabetes is to cut out and drastically reduce gluten intake. The third thing that you can be doing throughout this process is to eliminate processed seed oils from your diet. Now I did an entire episode on this about I think five episodes ago. It was ERM 23 and it was just talking about different fats, how they interact with our body, what fats you should be using, what fats you should be avoiding, and I go into the dangers of seed oils in that episode. But just to kind of quickly recap, the more seed oils that they have, the higher the omega-6 PUFA intake that there is. 
And this omega-6 puts you in a chronic inflammatory state, and it produces free radicals leading to higher levels of oxidative stress in your body. So that long-term inflammation and oxidative stress causes weight gain. So if you're eating all these foods that have been processed with these seed oils, they've been cooked in these oils, they involve these oils in any shape or form, these are some of the type of foods that you really want to reduce. So number three, if you can, eliminate processed seed oils from your diet. Number four, number four is to eat at least 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal. Now protein has a bunch of these different benefits and for people who maybe are vegans or vegetarians or you know, haven't been exposed to that world, protein usually isn't part of their meal. You know, it's if you want to lose weight, you kind of think of just eating the light options, so the veggies and avoiding things like protein. But protein maintains your lean muscle mass and it gives you that full feeling. So it gives you the feeling after you've eaten a meal that you're satisfied and you're, you don't necessarily want to eat more. And on the journey to weight loss, that's super important. Because if you're hungry and you're trying to lose weight, it's going to be a constant battle with your willpower. And odds are if you have a bad day or you're stressed out or something happens, you're going to lose against that willpower and you're going to give in to those cravings. But if after each meal you're able to feel full and satisfied, then you're not going to continue to eat. You're not going to want to fill these cravings with all these bad foods. Now, just as a rule of thumb, just to talk about certain ways to get protein, you can go the vegan or the vegetarian route with the beans or the chickpeas or anything along those lines, but just a couple references for the meat. So cooked chicken, turkey, beef, or pork has about 7 grams of protein per ounce of meat. Ground meats and fish and fatty poultry such as duck have about 7 grams of protein per 1.5 ounces, and one egg has about 7 grams of protein. So if you're trying to get about 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal, those are the things to kind of look into and to kind of remember to make sure that you're getting enough to really get that full feeling. So number four, eat at least 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal. Number five, number five is to eat more vegetables. And you've probably heard this before. You probably had it pounded into your head. But my main suggestion is just try to get some sort of vegetable with every single meal that you eat. And you don't have to go just plain boring broccoli. You can spice it up. You can switch up the vegetables. You can try different toppings on top of them, different spices that really make them taste better. But the bottom line is these vegetables have fiber. And our guts break this fiber down and can feed on the glucose in the fiber instead of having the glucose enter the bloodstream. And it also secretes something called butyrate, which we also talked about in ERM23. And that is an anti-inflammatory fat. And again, the less inflammation in the body, the more you're going to promote that weight loss. So eating more vegetables can actually also help decrease the level of glucose in your bloodstream after meal, again, reducing that insulin. And fiber can also increase that full feeling. So that's also going to help you in staying full, not having cravings, not wanting dessert, not wanting all these different unhealthy meals. Now, not all vegetables are created equal. There are some that are better than others. I would say if you really, really want to stick to the diet, try to stay towards those leafy green vegetables. So the kale, the spinach, the chard. You can also do things like sweet potatoes, carrots, turnips. And if you want to go kind of away from veggies but stay in that healthy area, you can deal with legumes. Legumes have a good amount of fiber. And if you are going to do that, you just have to make sure that you cook them the right way. So legumes usually should be soaked about 24 hours 
or they should be pressure cooked. And again, that was something we talked about in ERM 25 with Dr. Stephen Gundry. So number five is to eat more vegetables. Number six out of the eight things to do to increase your weight loss and to decrease the chances of diabetes is to cut out processed sugars. Now, this is one of the powerful ones, and this is probably one of the hardest for the people who deal with these cravings. Now, fructose can only be metabolized in the liver, and fructose is that sugar. So the liver stores some of this, and then the remaining is converted into fat. And if you're insulin resistant, like you're diabetic or something, the fat is actually stored in the liver and the muscles, which can become extremely dangerous. But large amounts of sugar cause something called advanced glycation end products, or AGE. And AGE allows them to stick to proteins inside and outside of the cells. And, you know, in general, small amounts of this are fine. Your body can handle it. But when you get to those higher amounts, it can actually trigger some pretty bad inflammation. So fructose forms the AGEs eight times faster than glucose. Now, when you think about fructose and glucose and what does that mean, odds are if you're buying these processed foods with high fructose corn syrup and all those stuff, you're obviously leaning towards the fructose side. Glucose is more in fruits, it's more in honey, it's brown rice syrup, it's the more natural products that you can find in the grocery store. So if we're talking about cutting out processed sugars, you know, maybe you have a good amount of sugars in your life right now and you really can't even imagine cutting out a ton. So I just want to give you a couple of high priority things to avoid. So if you're drinking any of these or eating any of these, it's best for you to just cut these out as soon as possible because this, again, will expedite your weight loss. So the first thing is soft drinks. So soft drinks like soda, anything along those lines because that has a ton of processed sugar. Energy drinks as well, so the Monsters, the Red Bulls, anything that's kind of marketed as, you know, here is more energy for you. The fruit drinks, which may surprise some people, fruit drinks as simple and as quote-unquote healthy as apple juice, apple cider, orange juice, actually have a ton of sugar in them, and in no way, shape, or form are they healthy for you. Now, obviously, they're probably a little better than a lot of energy drinks and soft drinks, but at the same time, they're still doing a lot of damage to your body. Another thing is fried fast food, which I'm sure a lot of you can really understand. There are actually a lot of sugars in these products. And then processed food in general. So if you go to the grocery store and you see boxes and bags and labels and a million different ingredients that you can't pronounce, that's probably something you want to avoid. Now here's how powerful this one is. So I actually have a roommate who a while back would drink a lot of soda. And he decided, you know what, I want to lose some weight, I want to feel a little better. So instead of going to the gym and changing his entire diet around, he just cut out soda. And just by doing that, he was able to lose a ton of weight. So this one is super important. If you're at a place where you are drinking a lot of soda, a lot of sugar, you're having a lot of these processed sugars, this is something I would really recommend you try to cut back on. Or if you can, and if you really want to commit to this, it's something you should probably cut out for good. And just for reference, for people who kind of want to know how much sugar means what, you know, you look at a label and you see 30 grams of sugar or 40 grams of sugar or 50 grams. Just for reference, if you want to know, divide the number of grams by four to find out how many teaspoons are in this. So if you have a soda that has 40 grams of sugar in it, divide that by four and that is 10 teaspoons of sugar. And then you can just visualize, you know, taking a teaspoon and just putting that in the can 10 times. 
So a lot of these things, you know, 40 grams, however much soda has, I'm pretty sure a lot of cans have like 26 or whatever that is, uh, 52 or just an unreal amount. And if you think about how many teaspoons that is, it's really, really gross. So number six is if you can cut out processed sugars. Number seven, number seven is a little further away from nutrition. It's actually has to do with your movement. And that's basically you want to exercise more. And not only do you want to exercise more, but you probably also want to exercise smarter. You know, maybe it's not even exercising more for you. Maybe right now you're doing an hour of walking every day. But there are smarter ways to go about exercise to really kickstart your body's metabolism, to help with weight loss, to help with preventing diabetes and all these other things. Now, this is one of the most powerful ways to increase and restore insulin sensitivity. So if you really want to change the game and you really want to take it to that next level, exercise is crucial. And here's the thing. The length of the exercise doesn't matter as much as intensity. You can go to the gym and you can walk for an hour or you can jog for 30 minutes. But if you're not pushing yourself and you're not getting intense with it, it's not going to be as powerful as if you were to really put yourself in those situations where you push yourself. So just so you have a better understanding of this, high-intensity, short-duration exercise has more physiological benefits than steady-state exercise. And for the people who want to really take it to the next level and really want to get serious with it, it's time to start monitoring your heart rate during this exercise. And I think this is powerful because when people start to exercise and they do so with the hopes of losing weight, instead of just going to the gym and, you know, just running or seeing what you can do and seeing how far you can get to set a goal for your heart rate and to really understand where your heart rate is at. It's a goal. It's easier for you to strive for than just, hey, I'm going to go to the gym and run for 30 minutes. Because if you know, hey, I want to push myself today, I have to get to a certain number of beats per minute with my heart, then that's a goal. That's something you can push yourself towards instead of just showing up and seeing what you can do that day. So just for a quick step-by-step process of how to do this, first you want to find your max heart rate. And in general, this stuff varies. It's not exact for person to person, but here's the general equation, which I will put in the show notes as well. But for men, you want to take your age, you want to multiply it by 0.7, and then you want to subtract that number from 208. So if you're 24, 24 times 0.7 is about 17, and then you do 208 minus 17 and your max heart rate would be around 191 beats per minute. And then for women, the equation is 0.88 times your age, and then you want to take that number and subtract it from 206. So if you're 24, 24 times 0.88 is about 21, and then you do 206 minus 21, and your max heart rate is about 185 beats per minute. Now here's where that comes into play and why knowing that is necessary. When you do HIIT training, which is high-intensity interval training, which is probably the smartest thing that you can be doing for weight loss, it's kind of probably a close call with that and weightlifting, but HIIT is really good for getting your heart rate up, for getting that insulin sensitivity up, and really helping you kind of transition to that weight loss period. And what you want to do is you want to push your heart rate to about 90% of its max. So you want to go through that equation, find your max heart rate, and then multiply that by 0.9 to find out what heart rate you want to get to. And here's a little just goal for how you can go about HIIT training. So obviously you want to start with a warm-up. 
So two to three minutes of just getting your body moving, getting warm so you don't just jump into it cold. And then you can either do 20-second sprints and then 40 seconds off five times, and that literally only takes you five minutes. Or you can do 60-second sprints and 60 seconds off times 10, so that's 20 minutes. And just pushing yourself for this amount of time and getting that heart rate up can actually allow your body to burn fat for one to two days after you're done. So it really switches the body up and promotes your body to start burning glucose for energy. So that blood sugar or the sugar in the muscles and the cells, that is really going to help promote that type of energy fuel. So number seven is exercise more and or exercise smarter. And then finally, the eighth thing you can be doing to really help with that weight loss, to really help regulate the body blood sugar, insulin sensitivity, is to get better sleep. Now, sleep deprivation is a stressor that turns on the body's threat response. And if you're not sleeping enough, you're not getting that recovery time, you're going to have an increase in your oxidative stress, you're going to have an increase in your inflammation, and you're going to have a much harder time burning fat. You have a much harder time allowing your body to get adjusted to these different situations. Now, I did an entire episode on how to sleep better. That was ERM3. That was one of the first episodes. And also, if you don't want to listen to the podcast or you just want a guide, we have our Better Sleep Blueprint available. I will put that in the show notes. And that is a PDF with 11 different ways to get better sleep. So... To sum it all up, those eight things to really allow you to promote fat loss and to decrease the chances of getting diabetes is one, determine your tolerance for starch and sugar. Get that blood glucose monitor, really start figuring out what foods go well with your body, what foods don't, so you have a better understanding of how to manipulate that system. Number two, cut out or drastically reduce your gluten intake. Number three, eliminate processed seed oils from your diet. And if you want to know more about that, Go to ERM23. Number four, eat at least 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal to really help your body stay full so you avoid these cravings. Number five, eat more vegetables. Try to eat them with every single meal. Number six, cut out processed sugars or drastically reduce your intake. Again, if you don't want to cut out all processed sugars, make sure you're avoiding soft drinks, energy drinks, fruit drinks, fried fast food, and processed food. Number seven, you want to exercise more and or exercise smarter. And number eight, you want to get better sleep. Now, I kind of want to just bring things together because those are eight tips and they're great to be informed, but a lot of people can't manage to handle themselves and they can't really stay strict along their own weight loss journey. So I just want to give you a few general tips to really help you throughout this process. Number one, this isn't something you want to go crazy with right away. To really get in the fat loss game and to really stay consistent and make it a long-term change, you need to start small. So if you are eating processed sugars and fast food and you're not exercising and you're not sleeping right and you really aren't doing anything right, don't try to change everything at once. I want you to pick the one thing that you think is affecting you the most and really go from there. And if you aren't sure what the one thing may be, definitely reach out to me. I'd love to just talk to you about what the first step may be. You can hit me up on Instagram at Early Risers Movement. You can email me info at earlyrisersmovement.com. Do whatever you got to do to get in touch with me. But try to start small. Start with that one thing to really help you gain momentum and to just gain confidence and get in the system. 
And with that being said, the second thing is you really want to stay in that long-term mindset. Don't get overexcited about this process of, okay, I'm informed now. I know what to do. I'm envisioning myself 30, 40, 50 pounds lighter. I'm going to start tomorrow and it is going to be the best thing ever. Because you're going to try to change these things. You're going to get overexcited. And when you don't see results right away, you're going to burn out. And if you really want to be successful throughout this process, you have to realize you're going to fail along the way. It's going to take time and it's going to take a lot of effort and just learning in general. The third thing, my general tip, if you really want to deal with your nutrition in a proper way, you got to start meal prepping. I can't tell you how crazy it is that people just go into the week and expect to make the right choice for what they're eating every single day. Because if you don't meal prep and every single meal is an opportunity for you to pick and choose whatever you want to eat and you eat three times a day, that's 15 chances throughout the week. 15 chances that you're not going to pick the right food or that you're going to go with the easier option or the more convenient option even if it's unhealthier. But if you meal prep and even if you make like 10 out of those 15 meals, you're making one decision that is going to affect you for 10 meals instead of just going in fighting with your willpower every day and hoping that you make the healthy choices so really start to meal prep if you need advice on that reach out to me honestly i I want to help you along this journey because i know how difficult it can be and i really do want to see you succeed and then another tip is if you really need help on controlling cravings and they're really getting out of hand check out the episode erm19 It was Dr. Glenn Livingston. It was on his book, Never Binge Again. You can grab that book for free. He tells you how to get it in the episode. But in that episode, he really talks about how to control cravings and how to control the way you think about cravings. And that was probably one of my favorite episodes so far. I really enjoyed that one. It was super valuable. So if you do need help with cravings, definitely take a look at that. But with all that being said, if weight loss is something you are struggling with and you are feeling bad about it and you're getting discouraged and you don't see a way out, my best advice is really just make an action plan. Just pick that one thing that you're going to start to do and really start to create and shape the life that you want. Don't get discouraged. Be optimistic. Take it one day at a time. Fall forward. If you're going to fail, learn from it. Take those steps forward and you can really, really succeed throughout this process now before wrapping up i do have the question of the week and this week's question i really like this week's question is if animals could talk which animal would be the most terrifying and i honestly thought about this for about five seconds before realizing that the answer is super easy at least for me i honestly think that hyenas would be terrifying if they could talk I mean, if you've ever seen The Lion King, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But these things are crazy. Their laugh or whatever that is, is, I don't know, it's it's ridiculous. So if animals could talk, I would not want to be caught with a hyena because they're pretty intimidating. But let me know what your answer is. If you have something different, that'd be awesome. And, you know, as always, I'm, I'm really appreciating everyone for listening, for taking the time to learn from the podcast. I do ask if you are a weekly listener and you really are enjoying this and you really get a lot out of it. If you haven't already, please, please go to iTunes and leave a review. It will take you two or three minutes. And I just ask that you do that because this podcast is free and the ratings are how we get ranked. So if you could head over to iTunes, leave a review, leave a rating, that would mean the world to me. 
But with all that being said, I appreciate each and every single one of you. I'm so, so, so excited because I have some amazing stuff coming up. Super excited to share that with you, to share that with the world. And I'm always looking to just get better than I was yesterday and to share that growth with everyone around me. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Never be afraid to reach out. Keep killing it. And I will talk to you next time. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. As always, feel free to reach out at any point with any comments, any questions, or pretty much anything else that you'd like. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on our website, earlyrisersmovement.com, or hit me up on Instagram, at earlyrisersmovement. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. With that being said, I hope you're one step closer to becoming an early riser and I will talk to you next time. Keep killing it, everyone.